Okay, I'm calling the big side daddy. Miss Call. Oh, he called me. Um. Oh. Hey, are you on? Yes. Hello. Hey, sorry. I was um, wrapping up a ha- quote-unquote happy hour with um, some of Al- some of Albuquerque some Albuquerque legends. Really? Steve Buttkiss. Uh-huh. Riley Balling, Clayton Cheney, Dylan, and Catherine Peters. Whoa. Yeah. So I am here, back and better than ever, to talk with you about. Uh, well, maybe we should welcome people back. Sure. To another episode of. Maybe. <laughs> next, next time. time. <laughs> uh, I am your host, William Boo, with my co host, Simon McCormack. Nets Nation! Who wants to play horse? Oh, Have you right. Seen that that's what they're doing? Yes, I saw it only because Seth uh, texted us something about horse being a thing NBA players are doing now. Is that mm-hmm. right? What? What is there more to the story? Tell us. ESPN is working on some sort of possible thing to follow up on the. Uh, what was surely a scintillating, scintillating NBA 2K tournament that is NBA players playing horse, you know, remotely, based, I'm sure through some sort of video conferencing technology where they shoot a shot and then their opponent shoots a shot. Right. You know, I, I don't know about you, William, but I find to me it's I understand they're trying to make money and remind people that the NBA still exists and trying to salvage something out of the, the wreckage of all this. But to me, psychologically, it is much more depressing to see attempts at some kind of NBA entertainment rather than just saying, like, we're just shutting everything down. It's more depressing to be like, yeah, well, now you're forced. The best you can do is somebody playing a video game or somebody playing horse. Which right. Is- it's, it's sort of like, hey, you stupid idiot, it'll take anything we feed you. Do you like watching people shoot basketballs in an NBA game? Well, then you'll like them doing it remotely from their home in Tampa, Florida. <laughs> yeah. With, yeah. Because right. you have no discernment for any. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it is kind of uh, it's sad, depressing, insulting. All those things wrapped up into one. And on top of it all, profoundly boring. <laughs> yeah it's like we are at home every you know if anyone can access your thing they have internet so can look at literally anything that exists nobody wants to play horse or watch horse right um right. although if they integrated like the thing you were talking about last week the celebrity versus actual basketball player thing <laughs> uh maybe if they're like you know if it's kevin durant versus Kevin Hart or something like right. that. Then yeah. that that could that could um, that could make things a little more interesting. Rock Jock, yeah. Rock a Jock. A return to Rock Jock. Well, welcome back, uh, listeners. We are here as we are every unrelenting week to talk all things Nets Nation. Um, Simon, I think I, I I don't speak just for myself. I, th- I speak for us all here when I say that uh, it's been a busy week in Nets Nation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we've got a lot to get to, and in the um, 
spirit of not having another one hour and five minute show, maybe we should uh, get get things into gear here. Get to it, sure. Uh, how are you doing, by the way? Good, uh, William. I'm I'm uh, drinking some uh, a uh, a tall glass of sugar milk, uh, which is a, which is something I um, put together last night for the first time because we got. Hillary ordered bagels, and as a part of the the bagel order, it comes with a free whole milk. Um, I have not had whole milk in some time. I, I know that you don't drink milk. You hate milk. I do hate milk. But I had basically transitioned even from, you know, I was drinking 1%, then I got on to soy. So I've been on, on um, soy for a while, and I'm now tasting this whole milk and uh we were out of uh sugar i've also developed an incredible desire i think you have too but in in this lockdown world an incredible desire for sweets yeah no i I think i think i think my body type doesn't uh, desire it it needs sweets at this point (laughs) yeah so we didn't have any Sweets. So of course I went. My my number one goal was uh, strawberry milks. That those that strawberry milk sauce <laughs> expired in 2018. As did our uh, Hershey's chocolate syrup. So those were out. Right. I mean, so, all of this is appalling stuff that you're saying right now. But keep keep going. So what I came up with was, and again, I'm I'm in for round two right now as we speak. Right is sugar milk, which is a glass of milk <laughs> and a couple packets. Just a couple will do you. A couple packets of sugar. Um, <laughs> now, can I ask, is this a is this an original Simon recipe? Did you see, was it, was it like, uh, you know, the last thing that Anthony Bourdain recommended everyone try? <laughs> or, or like what, no, what happened was, with... This was not a tiki-taki. This was... Uh, this is all out of my brain. It's rich. It's creamy. It, mm. it, I mean, whole milk really is quite a big, um, quite a lot of from flavor. Silk. Yeah, it's a very different product than silk. Yeah. Um, it sounds appalling, as I've said, and <laughs> and it's not as funny. I think it's slightly somehow grosser than strawberry milk, and not as funny, but. Still, I'm glad you're doing it. Um, is there like some weird calcium thing that you think you have, or why <laughs> do you still drink milk? I don't. As I said, I, I had basically switched totally to soy milk, which I just used for cereal. Um, but then we got this this shipment of milk that we have to we have to use. So. Um. <laughs> So that was your Saturday night. That's what that's what a Saturday night in COVID land looks like. <laughs> yeah, we watched. We did that, and we watched kicking and screaming. Oh, nice. Uh, the, the the Noah Baumbach, not the Will Ferrell one, right? Yeah. And uh, I thought, it, you know, definitely when I first watched it, and when you first recommended it to me, it was. That was the, the perfect time to watch it. Yes, a hundred percent. Like when, like Kevin Smith, you know, we you've talked about this. Like yeah. that was the exact right time to watch Kevin Smith in high school, in middle school, and so post college is exactly when that movie is best. Mm-hmm. Um, twenty three, so, twenty four is sort of the sweet spot of uh, that Noah Baumbach movie. Right, and so now 
I have a great deal of nostalgia for that movie for when I watched it, but I think the stuff that is funny, there's less of it that I found funny, and the stuff that I already found annoying, like all of the love interest stuff with the character whose dad is Elliot Gould, uh-huh. is like much more hard Josh to take. Josh Hamilton? Yeah, yeah. Like all of the like the flashbacks, the end, like I just, you know, have much less patience for that. So overall, still perfectly good, but much less. I didn't like it nearly as much as I remember liking it. Yeah, no, I know. Because it's already a movie that's that's trading entirely in sort of nostalgia. And then when you when you sort of lose out on even it triggering this nostalgia, but you just have the nostalgia for when you appreciated certain <laughs> jokes in it, exactly. then it's just like so exactly. many levels removed of, of nostalgia that it becomes difficult to uh, justify exposing others to that you know like your significant other right yeah yeah she was not a huge fan um so we are here again as we are each and every <laughs> unrelenting week to talk all things nets nation uh this is if you haven't uh, picked up on it yet the tiger king episode um <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, this is a Tiger King episode. We are trying to be as memeable, hip, and with it as possible. Um, so we are going to, at some point in this podcast, obviously we're going to get through a lot of other crap that's totally unnecessary to talk about before (laughs) that. Um, but eventually we will talk about Tiger King and um, relate various Nets players to various characters in the runaway hit Tiger King on Netflix. Yes. Um, but before we get to that, Simon, we've got a lot to get to. As I've said, uh, let's start with a piece of good news. Okay. All four Nets are healthy again. Yes, cleared, ready, ready cleared, to go. Ready to play, ready to, ready to hoop, ready to play horse, ready to do whatever it is <laughs> they are asked to do. Um, say, lose an NBA 2K in the first round. Right. To Derek Jones Jr. Right. The one is, versus the 16. Which is what we should explain is it, that's what Kevin Durant did. Yeah. That's exactly right. I was going to talk about it later. I have very little to say about it other than that. Uh, There was an NBA 2K tournament. Kevin Durant was a number one seed, and he lost in the first round. Yeah, here's a couple things. One, it was annoying, I thought, that he didn't play with the Nets. He picked the Clippers. Yeah. Yeah, he picked the Clippers. Also, I don't understand what being the number one seed gets you if the other team player can pick whatever team they want. There, right? I mean, there is an immense amount of, of the tournament that I don't understand yeah. <laughs> um, and hope never to understand. But yeah, I just think taken in, in the abstract, he was a number one seed and he got upset by Derek Jones Jr. For that we should we should shovel shame and and uh, yeah, indignities upon him. Sure. 
Um, so in this, our first segment, which is all about good news, four nets are healthy, and we managed to transition it to trashing Kevin Durant. Um, <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to also bring up another fun little aspect of the four nets are healthy again. Um, and it's a new segment I'd like to call Sean Marks refuses to say. Oh, yes. Simon. Yes. What is he refusing to tell us? Well, so he refuses to really say whether Kevin Durant or Kyrie Irving are available and doesn't give any sort of indication of of anything, which is kind of his trademark. But I, I wanted to, as part of this, I, I just wanted to read the two quotes. One is from Sean Marks, and then the other is from Ian Eagle. So first, the Sean Marks quote is, or at least part of it is, I haven't physically seen them in three to four, four weeks, so it's difficult for me to gauge, as well as the performance team, where they are. We're talking to them and FaceTiming them, but it's quite different to having those guys on the court. Uh, they know their bodies better than anyone else, um, and at the right time, when they're 100%, I'm sure they'll be making those decisions. And then he goes on to say, something we have to think about is our facilities are closed, and just by getting time off, does that let your body heal? You can take the other side of this and say this hiatus has shifted rehabilitation back, and it slowed that. So just throwing cold water, doing more than just saying I don't know, but basically trying to say it's still not happening. Now, I found that interesting only in, especially because in juxtaposition, I'm just going to read a quick thing and then I'll stop reading. But this is from Ian Eagle just a couple of weeks before that. and just. Ian. To, Ian, sorry. To keep to keep this in mind, Ian Eagle basically works from the net for the Nets. He never says anything that hasn't been cleared by the Nets. He also has inside information on the Nets. Um, and he said just a few weeks before that, medically, my understanding is from this point on, he can play, referring to uh, Kevin Durant. It's now a question, is the team comfortable? Is he comfortable? And then look at the timing on Kyrie. He got the shoulder surgery done at a time where if you look at a four- to six-week period, it would be right around June. So he's speculating about timelines. He's saying that Kevin Durant is medically cleared to play, which I think it's hard, no matter what you say after that, for fans, I think, to hear anything other than, okay, well, then they should – play if they're medically cleared to play um and that's in stark difference from what to what sean marks is saying i i i don't know what you think about that whether you think there's some kind of like war within within the nets organization and parts of it are telling ian eagle it's okay to say x and sean marks is saying y or if you think that Kyrie and kd are like adamant in sean mark's ear that he should not be saying anything about them coming back or what? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think it it, it seems to me it's just a, a trend, a pattern with with old Sean Marks that he doesn't say anything ever. <laughs> yeah, he is he is very skilled at that. But to the and but and to the extent that he's saying anything, he's kind of saying like, well, you know, you know, could not be right. Like, you know, there, there's reason to think that they won't be back. Right. I think that he tries to, I mean, he's very good at constructing statements like that so that it can't come back on him. You know, like someone can't hold him to account for something that he said. 
Yeah, hang on one sec. I just need to clear off some water here that has spilled. Uh, what? Wait. Oh, yeah. Water that, to obscure the actor who made it spill, I will say, has spilled. Right. The glass fell over. Right, exactly. Uh, no, you know, a lot of languages do ascribe the the agency to the object, um, and I actually oh. think that that is a. I I would I wish English were like that, because <laughs> I think that I think that ascribing the the guilt to the human being involved uh, obviously has so many psychological ramifications, whereas if we just ascribed it to some sort of bizarre object agency, we would maybe feel less uh, bad <laughs> about those sorts yeah. of things. Yeah. About our own clumsiness. Exactly. Um, all right, Simon, I'd like to turn back to the second iteration of a new segment called Something I Noticed. Oh, great. So great. last week, you might re- recall, I noticed that whoever's running the NBA Instagram was trolling us with the Kyrie Irving highlights and not showing any of his highlights when he was a net. Right. Yeah. So um, this this week, I noticed on the NBA's Instagram account that they posted something of Ben Simmons. It was a Ben Simmons-related highlight reel, and it was him tying his career high of 34 points, which was accompanied by 12 assists and 12 rebounds. Who do you think was the team that he accomplished said (laughs) career high in points against? Uh, I watched it, or I think we both watched it. We were there. We were there. Yeah. Yes, it was a humiliating home defeat at the hands of the Philadelphia 76ers. And they eked it out too. It wasn't a wasn't a slaughter. They they um put the put the screws to us um towards the end and humiliated us. Do you think that do you think there's any credibility to the idea that maybe the person running the account I would imagine the person running the account this is why I think that they have an anti-nets bias mm. so the NBA is headquartered in New York right yeah so it's would would not be at all surprising to imagine that whoever is running the account is a Knicks fan right and, um, yeah. but they're they're like unrelentingly putting up content uh, that that casts the nets in a bad light. Oh, you're wearing an in-home mask, Hillary? No, no, no. I'm about to go for a walk. She's going for a walk. That's absurd. <laughs> uh, Claire's actually making a few masks right now. Yeah, now, now, now that the CDC has uh, advised us all to symbolically wear masks, uh, we are, are making some home masks. Good. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, that's made from the BAM, uh, bandana that we got those many years ago. Yeah, it looks, it looks nice. Thank you. Bet it's highly efficacious. Um, all right, <laughs> Simon. What? Yeah. Um, do you want to hear headlines or should we go straight to Windhurst? Uh, sure. Headlines. All right. Well, I'm just going to do a few of the titillating headlines from the week. And these are direct copy-paste headlines. First one, 
Theo Pinson could be a Nets casualty of Chris Chioza's rise. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is exactly the reaction that that headline deserves. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, what's so funny is that that, and it says it at the top of those stories, it, it says that the post is, is like, Proud of the fact that it's like this is part seventeen of a like. Yes, that was that, that was not not to quibble with you, but that was part fourteen. Of the- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's as crazy. Brian Lewis is a machine out there, just churning content from nothing. Yeah, um, I uh, I just not that we need to dwell at length on <laughs> this completely meaningless point, but uh, I would be pleased if Chris Chioza rose over Theo Pinson. I oh, have. Yeah. He- I totally agree. I mean, Chioza, Chioza, I think could could not only do that, but could provide comfort for Sean Marks in moving forward with some kind of trade that gets rid of either Karis Levert or Spencer Dinwiddie or both, right? Because you might figure Chioza could hold down the fort for a few games uh, if and when Kyrie gets hurt. Yeah, wait, when Kyrie gets hurt. <laughs> Um, okay, hold on here. Next one. I'm sorry, I'm just making sure we're still running on, on the old uh, uh, garage band. Right. Video conferencing eats, eats uh, computer juice. Yes, computer. <laughs> um, all right. Next headline, Nets owner Joe Sy donating 2,000 ventilators to New York in coronavirus fight. Yes. Hero? Villain? Can he be both? He, he's complex. He's complex. Yeah, like uh, all, not- all of the great characters that we, we love through fiction, uh, he, he is, he's a little bit of both, isn't he? Yes, ab- ab- absolutely. He and Jack Ma... And the Chinese government um, can also be described in those in those <laughs> terms. They were also uh, part of the right. The, uh, yeah, I thought it was a fairly yeah. misleading thing to say that that Joe Sai had done it, but you know, Matt Staley, do your thing. Uh, final <laughs> one, and this one's great. This is a Nets Daily classic. All cap stash report. Hollinger sees Isaiah Cordonier as best bet. <laughs> so this is based off a uh, athletic article by John Hollinger. Have you read the article? I don't know, but I read the Nets Daily thing. Okay, so John Hollinger's article, and I read it, I almost sent it to you because it was so funny, but it went through each of our stashes. The Argentina guy who's basically, as far as I can tell, has simply used the Nets to um, get various ankle surgeries. Um, (laughs) Right. There are a couple (laughs) other guys in Bulgaria, a Bulgarian guy, I think, and someone yeah, else. Vashenkov. Vashenkov, right. I had hopes for Vashenkov. Um, let me just say, having read the actual Hollinger thing, mm-hmm. it was unrelentingly negative about every <laughs> single one of the stashes. And to come up with a quote-unquote stash report in which 
Hollinger sees the best in any one of those players would be to grossly misrepresent what John Hollinger said. <laughs> John Hollinger, I mean, if if the best is he doesn't see Isaiah Cordier as at Cordier as ever having a chance of being an NBA like rotation player, then sure, maybe he said that. <laughs> but at no point did he suggest that any of these players are anywhere near or right. have the have the projected possibility of becoming NBA players. Right. So I would just like to clarify that stash <laughs> report. I spared myself reading the Nets Daily one. Did 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 Nets Daily at least concede that Isaiah wasn't uh, you know nipping at the heels of an NBA career? Yes, he he said you know everyone's a long way. I I, I think he 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 did say yes. Okay. Uh, and, and included the part about. Vashenkov being described as not an NBA athlete, which <laughs> is tough to overcome, right? You can say, like, he needs to work on his shot. He needs to get more skill. I think that's what he said about Cordonier, maybe, is, like, his skills need to improve. Mm-hmm. But you could see doing that. But not an NBA athlete is kind of like a conversation ender. <laughs> Well, I just remember from the article that he said a couple times, he's like, there's this weird thing where, like, when a player from abroad declares for the draft, all of a sudden it has, like, some degree of weight because there's supposed to be, like, a filter and someone, like, doesn't want to, like, front offices don't want to miss on the guy that has declared and it's, and there's not that many of them that do. So when it happens, they have to. And, like, the the Argentine guy, he's like, this is the case in point of that. Like, it's totally inexplicable why he would have got, like, risen to the level of possibly an interesting draft pick. But um, he declared, and someone had to take him, and that was what happened. (laughs) Um, But anyway, I I just, you know, I have zero hope that any of those stashes will ever amount to anything. And I don't think that's overly cynical. I think... uh, No. I think that's been clear for a while. Um, all right, Simon, let's talk about the the um, Windhorst. Uh, I don't know if you want to call it reporting, but commentary from yeah. his most yeah. recent uh, podcast. Um, the two big takeaways, and then I'd like to hear your you you sort of set it up in in gr- with greater eloquence. But the two takeaways <laughs> are one. Nets are, are likely going a big game hunting free agent free agent wise in the yes. offseason. And two, they're looking for a blue chip coach. Right. Uh yeah. So um on the the star thing, I he said I, I believe that the Nets have telegraphed and I heard through you know, from things that I've heard, you know, through the grapevine it seems like the Nets are trying to do that based on, he said they dipped their toe in the water of that near the trade deadline this year. And um, so that's interesting. That is the first, you know, we've heard Zach Lowe has sort of uh, implied that or thought that, you know, saying the Nets were up to something. There's been some stuff that, you know, I mean, it's it's been widely sort of, wondered whether the Nets would do that. But this to me was the furthest I've heard of, of a well-sourced NBA person saying that that's, that's what they think they're doing. And the names, uh, and the names. So then he kind of does this thing where 
he doesn't say, and these are the two targets of the Nets. He says, so he opens it up to his panel and says, so do you think that the Nets have what it would take to get a Bradley Beal or a Drew Holiday? But it's unclear to me, and maybe this is by design, but it's not totally clear to me whether he's mentioning those two because those two are the two two of the most talked about players that could be on the trade market. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Drew was particularly, there were lots of articles written about him um, at the trade deadline. Um, and Bradley Beal, of course, is kind of like people assume he will become available because the Wizards suck and probably need to rebuild and he would be a good way to kind of start that and could also demand a trade uh, before too long. There's words he's not happy or whatever. But I don't know if that means those are the two people that the Nets are really targeting. I don't know. What do you think? Um, well, I think whether they're targeting them or not, the ver- the same, the reason, the logic that you're explaining for why they're being talked about would stand that they'd be the guys we'd be going for because there aren't going to be that many other people available. Mm. You know, like... Like, I think they're worth mentioning because if the Nets are trying to make something happen, they're going to have to do it with the the people that are potentially gettable. Right. So let's – so I would love to hear your take on which one of those players you want, especially given that Bradley Beal would probably – Take, I mean, almost certainly would would take more. Well, I I I, I think I've 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 mentioned this uh, off cast before, but I I personally think Drew Holiday would be a way better fit for Mm -hmm. the Nets, and I think that he would also come at a a greatly lesser cost. Yeah, Um, I think it would probably require getting rid of younger guys to get him because the Pelicans are obviously on a very young timeline here. Mm-hmm. Um, but I could see, yeah, a Levert or a Dinwiddie and a, a Jared Allen and then something else like picks and things like that uh, going out for Drew Holiday. But I think he'd be a better fit because I think that he is one of the vastly superior defensive player, which the Nets, if they're starting Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and possibly DeAndre Jordan, are going to be desperate for any amount of defense they can get. And two is a guy who would be more adaptable um, as a very, very off-ball player, as an actual third option, whereas Bradley Beal has begun to assert himself as a guy who uh, arguably should be the first option on a team. Um, And I don't know how amenable to being a third option he would be in addition to which his defense is atrocious. And if, I mean, unless we're just planning on scoring, you know, the 150 points every game, Uh I don't see, I don't see how we can go into a game with those three players. Um, in our starting five and expect to have a defense that isn't in the bottom 10 of the league at best, if not bottom five. Well now, so, so I, I agree with you. The, the one thing that I, I want to kind of check your temperature on is with Brad Beal. And I, I, I know you're, because you're so wary of this, like, you know, throw, 
throw everything, you know, at, at this one window. Mm-hmm. If you get Red Beal, yes, you would have to give up more. I think we both agree. But um, including picks and stuff like that. But you would have a younger player, whereas Drew is 29. He's got a, a pretty harrowing injury history, although I've become so I've, I've become so immune to like what a good, healthy player is that I was looking back at his years and like for 20, 20, his 23 season, his 24 season, he played like 30 some games and 40 some games. That's worrying. But I was looking at some of his years and they were like, I remember thinking of them as like, oh boy, Drew Holiday was like hurt again. Because my, my friend Juan would talk about that or whatever, but he played like sixty some games, mm-hmm. so I'm kind of like, oh, that's not that bad. No, I mean that's incredible. Uh, it's better <laughs> than Karis or um, Kyrie could ever hope to be. Right, but so so, but my but my thing with Bradley Beal is that I I would think might appeal to you is when Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant are gone, you would have this centerpiece in Bradley Beal that w- so it wouldn't just be like. You know, we wouldn't have to totally scrap everything. We'd still have this amazing player who would still be in his prime or very close to his prime. Yeah, I don't know, but I just don't know how that would work out because I think he has what what is his contract situation for next year? Uh, he signed a two year extension, so he has at least two years, and I believe I don't know. Uh, I can look it up, but at least two years. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, either of those trades for me, I'm not the, you know, like we've forsaken f- the future. Okay. Yeah, I don't see, I don't see either what, you know, like it's all, it's all in now. So right. I don't, I don't, I don't look at either of those as, and I don't think we can look at any trade or move they're going to make in the near term as something that has is future oriented in any way. Okay. Um, so, blue chip coach. They couldn't. Yes. They explicitly said they couldn't talk about um, working coaches, coaches with jobs. So they kept it to the guys that no one. I mean, like if a Van Gundy or a Tom Thibodeau comes to the Nets, I think that's going to be a disaster. Yes, and I also wouldn't describe them as blue chip coach, like per- particularly. Uh, Mark Jackson, like how how is it that you could be a blue chip coach and be out of coaching for more than like the better part of a decade? Like <laughs> that's just a weird like what a legend of coaching the guy who no one has wanted for years to right. coach and whose team once he left went from uh, a failure to like a seventy three win team that was an an instant dynasty. Yeah, and um, and with the Van Gundys, it's the same thing. And with Thibodeau, yeah, I don't know. I mean, he's had some playoff success, but it certainly hasn't been. I wouldn't describe him as a blue chip coach. No, nor nor would I. And I just feel like those guys are all uh, the the Van Gundys and the Mark Jackson and the Tom Thibodeaus are all just like sort of epitomize this style of coach that is pretty passe at this point. Yes. Well, like, you- like what, like in a, in a league that reveres like a, a Nick nurse, um, you're going with like, a sort of, or uh, Bobby Knight or something like that. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> 
Yeah, you're definitely zagging when other people are zigging. <laughs> yeah, sure. I don't. I don't know how well. Um, KD and Kyrie are going to respond to being drilled to death uh, in practice by uh, by uh, Jeff Van Gundy. <laughs> yeah, it's weird, but I do think so. So to get to what I think when what I think does have value in, in that discussion was when her saying that Kyrie and KD are, are looking for a blue chip coach, uh, which to me would. I think strengthen names that we've heard like Ty Lue, like maybe a Dan Tony, um, and makes it less likely things like an Adam Harrington or things like I forget his name, but the 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 former assistant to the Cavs that Kyrie is supposedly very tight with. Right. Like I would think that would that would seem to indicate that those are less likely candidates if what Winders is saying is is true. Um, what did you think about, cause I know Kevin Pelton is a guy you respect. Yeah. What do you think about his comments made during that discussion where he, when they asked, what do you think would be a better job, the Knicks or the Nets? Or like, which do you think they'd be more anxious to take? Yeah. And he'd be like, I don't know, neither. <laughs> yeah. Well, right. And he said, yeah, he didn't think that the, the, the coaches who, who who had recently coached Kevin Durant or, or Kyrie Irving came away from that experience feeling like great. Exactly. Um, so I, I would just say, I mean, yeah, um, but I do think there's a pretty big difference between coaching Kevin Durant to a tumultuous championship and to two championships and coaching Kyrie. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, and they made that point. They made that point. Yeah, so... So, I mean, I don't know. I think people would take – I think any coach in the league would take coaching Kevin Durant. Um, I- I- enigma as he may be and sensitive as he may be. Um, so you don't think uh, – so you're sort of brushing aside Kevin Pelton's reaction to that? Well, I think any – I just don't – I think that I – I find it hard to believe that anyone who is available to coach now again does does Greg it's to me that comment is something to think about if you're a Greg Popovich or something who has a job who is revered who basically calls the shots in their current situation like why would they leave that to go to this but if you're talking about a coach who is an assistant now or who is not um, in the league now. Uh, I just don't know that that is the kind of thing where you you sit and you're like, hmm, I don't know. Like Kyrie can be a bit of a handful. Like you you want to be a head coach. It's it's not it's not as easy as just like I want to get the right situation. And if not, I'll just you know sit on my hands. Like I I feel like that's not usually the mentality of coaches. And and I I feel like the chance to coach a team that even has an outside chance of winning a championship is much better than most coaching opportunities. Most coaching opportunities are like, you know, we just fired this guy because we're terrible. Here you go. Um, Phil Handy was the other guy. Right. Phil Handy, yeah. 
Yeah, I, I I agree. I mean, I don't think I don't think Thibodeau's turning down jobs. I don't think Van no, exactly. Gu- the Van Gundys are turning down jobs right now. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, I don't think they can be as selective as apparently Kevin Pelton would be. But I just think that it's interesting that he yeah. he he doesn't perceive the net situation as like, oh, this is a job any coach would dream to have. Yeah, I mean, and I yeah. Yeah, I, I think that because the way that that, that that this Nets team is discussed in the little bubble that we live in is that like, oh, this team is definitely a championship contender at worst, if not like a guaranteed lock for <laughs> champions. So like who wouldn't want love to come and coach that team um, that there's like actual that that someone of the stature of a Kevin Pelton would say that it's on it's not necessarily clearly better than the Knicks job is an indictment of what he, he sees as the future of this team. Yeah, I, I would, I mean, I certainly think that the Nets are a better coaching opportunity than the Knicks, um, by far. Um, just because even if you think, oh, you know, better to have low expectations, better to not have huge personalities in the locker room, whatever, your owner is legendarily horrible and, uh, you know, has, has the heads of many, 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 many head coaches on pikes. Um, so that's not like a com- more comfortable situation. Um, William, I'm curious what you think, though. What of the what will clearly be teams that will have head coaching vacancies and what are thought to be likely places where there will be coaching vacancies. What other team would be a better situation than the Nets? Um, I think Philly would be the, mm-hmm. the big one. Um, I think that, I think that a lot of people are really down on what Brett Brown has done with that team. And, the opportunity to prove that like a coach can make a massive difference working with two megastars would be exciting. That would probably be the team that I, I would imagine would have the most interest, um, amongst coaches. Okay. What about you? Um, yeah, I don't, I mean, that seems, that seems, uh, like a good answer. I, I would say maybe if, and I haven't heard anything about this. I just kind of suspect that Alvin Gentry could be out in uh, New Orleans mm, and yeah. that that would be a really interesting, it kind of combines like you do have a lot of talent and there aren't zero expectations, but you have a lot of talent and there's not championship aspirations. There's not like you need to show improvement, I think, but you wouldn't be expected to instantly be in title contention. And you'd have a team that theoretically should get better and better and better just by you not being a total fuck up. I'd also say that, uh, no, I think that would be, you're right. If, if the gentry job is open, then I think that's a hundred percent a more desirable one who wouldn't want to go and like stake their, their, what is it? Horse cart, something on Zion Uh, Williamson. Right. Anyway, yes, I w- who wouldn't want to be a part of what could be like the most exciting team for the next decade? Um, yeah, for sure. I also think now that we're talking about it, that the Knicks job, 
Yes, Jimmy Dolan is a nightmare. The organization has been uh, a disaster forever. But at this point, it has to be close to the nadir, right? And if you could go in there and do anything even halfway decent with it, you're going to be better paid than almost any other head coaching job. And the the stakes seem to me to be fairly low. Like, I mean, they're, they're churning and burning those coaches right now. And, uh, you either become discarded as, as, uh, you know, a failure in that situation. Everyone say, well, it's a situation, um, or you succeed and the glory would be immense. Well, but I mean, think about where Fisdale's stock is right now. I would say it's dramatically lower than it was when he took over. And you could certainly say, yes, this was a dumb, as people say, rightly, it's a dumb roster. Jimmy Dolan is terrible. Uh, Mills is an idiot. But I don't think anyone is really racing to hire Fizdale after that. Yeah, agreed. But I think Fizdale has just proven himself not to maybe be a very good head coach. Right, but that but that could still that could happen to the next Knicks coach. I, I mean, I think yeah, yeah. But I mean, yeah. like like Fisdale went from an assistant coach to like a part time coach for what the Grizzlies, and then getting pushed out of there. And it was just like like I don't know, was it a bad thing to be a head coach for a while for the Knicks? Not really. Like he might not. There's no evidence that he would have stuck as a head coach anywhere else. Uh. I don't know. I, I I feel like his stock has has plummeted because he was thought of as like good with players, good. He was going to help usher in um, stars. He was going to attract stars. He was going to develop young players. He was going to do all these things. And the fact that he didn't, regardless of whether you know, certainly he wasn't the only reason why none of that happened. But I think is tarnished. Yeah. Okay. Well, Simon. Can I bring up a subject I know you love to hear about? Yeah. Steve Lichtenstein. <laughs> yeah. He came up with some trade proposals. I honestly didn't read that article. <laughs> but I did scroll to the bottom, and there was one trade proposal at the bottom that I thought was absolutely captivating. Yeah, yeah. You want to describe it? Yeah, so... Uh, we'll start with what the Nets get, and then we'll talk about what the Pacers get. Yeah. So the Nets, and I mean, this is this is jaw-dropping stuff. <laughs> the Nets get Victor Oladipo and Miles Turner. Yeah. So a better Jared Allen and maybe our second best player in Victor Oladipo. Could be better than Kyrie Irving. Pacers get Spencer Dinwiddie. And good riddance. Jer- <laughs> Jared Allen, again, a worse version of Miles Turner. Torian Prince, which I think at this point we'd all be thrilled to see go. Jean and Musa, pour one out for him, but honestly, he's he's god-awful. <laughs> Rodion Kurutz, which is sad, but a necessary evil. A 2021st pick, a 2022nd round pick, and a 2021 second round pick. So we give up three picks. Uh, three very young players in Jared Allen, Torian Prince. I mean, uh, John and Musa, Rodian Kudutz, not Torian. Uh, a bad contract in Torian Prince, and a really, really, really good backup point guard in Spencer Dinwiddie. Yeah, 
and I think potential starter. Um, why do the Pacers do it, and why aren't the Nets doing it right now? <laughs> well, so that's what I. So that yeah, I agree. It, it it seems great. I know there's some some worry about Oladipo. He had just sort of started to round into form. I think when the season uh, stopped, um, there is still you know is he going to be as quick as he was, um, you know, post quad rupture or whatever it was. Um, but yeah, he would be good. I mean, just like drew, he, he, he's similar to drew, right? He's defensive minded. He's a two way player. He can play off ball. He's tough. Um, and, uh, yeah, Turner is another guy that would just be just, again, add to the toughness, to the goon quality of, of the Nets that we so dearly need. Um, you know, he's bodied the Nets for as long as you and I have, you know, since the, you know, Sean Marks era, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, it'd be, it, would be, it would be great. Where I have trouble is wondering why the Pacers would take that. Now, he says, Lichtenstein says, he feels like the Pacers have to be feeling like they're going to be in the luxury tax, especially with the cap going down, as it probably will. Mm-hmm. They haven't gotten out of the first round with this current um, configuration. So he says, you know, time time to time to blow them up. And I would also add that at least initially, I think, again, they got back to it. But, but at least initially when Oladipo came back, the Pacers kind of struggled to, you know, they were doing pretty well and then they kind of had to like reincorporate him i don't know how much how true that is towards the end of the the season but anyway i don't know i i don't believe in i don't know if you saw this but i tweeted at him steve lichenstein that i couldn't believe that torian prince would be a part of that trade because i just think that you would have to attach some kind of sweetener to get rid of torian prince but he claims he thinks that three and d wings have value and that the nets hurt his value by playing him at the four, which is something you have said, and that he has more value um, as a quote-unquote three and D wing. I you know, doubt that. But, yes, that is a trade that I would happily make. We give up very few, you know, only one first-round pick um, and get two two quality players who, who both add to what we very much need. What do you think why the Pacers would do it, or do you think they would? Um, I... I don't know. I know that they are a team that sort of notoriously would would not go into the luxury tax. Yeah. Um, but I don't see why that would encourage them to get rid of Victor Oladipo unless they said uh, – and Miles Turner. I mean, good God, those are really, really good players. Um, uh, unless they're like Brogdon is our new guy. And but I don't think you know, especially after this season where he's been really good, but extremely injury um, ridden. Uh-huh. Um, Demontis Sabonis has been very good. He was an All Star, uh, but yeah, they're just that. I mean, that's like totally gutting their team. Um, and I don't see what we would be sending them as like providing the need other than salary cap stuff. I don't. I don't see. I don't see that trade ever happening. But those would be two players I'd love to get. Yeah, yeah, me too. Um, all right. So that we avoid, I'm going to skip a few things because we got to get moving here <laughs> on uh, Tiger King. 
Okay. We we need to assert ourselves as the most relevant Brooklyn Nets podcast by relating everything to Tiger King. Absolutely. All right. So we are going to go through six different uh, Tiger King characters. And we are going to relate that Tiger King character to a Brooklyn Net. Yeah. All right. So we're going to start off with the show's um, hero or anti-hero. Yeah. Yeah. Joe Exotic. <laughs> uh, Joe Exotic, the mulleted, uh, goateed zoo owner. Um, is certainly the most volatile of any of these characters. He's, uh, like many of them, a megalomaniac, willing to throw anyone under the bus. Under the bus. Um, in that way, Simon, to me, in his capacity to get rid of his enemies uh, by whatever <laughs> means necessary, uh-huh. like, like, say, for instance, a coach or several teammates in a press conference... <laughs> Um, I would compare Joe Exotic to the Brooklyn Nets' one and only point god, Kyrie Irving. Sure. Who is your Joe Exotic? My Joe Exotic is another Nets point guard, Spencer Dinwiddie. Okay. Uh, because, um, because of Joe Exotic's like total fixation on himself to the point where he he doesn't see like what a joke he is um, to the outside world. Like, again, not that Spencer Dinwiddie is a total joke, but, like, he, like, the, the, the same way that, like, he talks about, you know, oh, man, Spencer Dinwiddie, maybe I'm, like, top five best point guard, you know what I mean? Or, you know, right. the various, what was he saying, you know, as online he was saying, like, oh, yeah, best all-time, you know, top five, you know, um uh, players like maybe Spencer Dinwiddie is like the sixth man or whatever, and some of that is a little bit facetious, but it's still it's still in the realm of kind of what he's thinking. In the same way, Joe, you know, ran for for governor, which by the way, and president, I, and president, and president, right? Of course, sorry, <laughs> I forgot that. But and I I feel like that that movie kind of wasn't clear that like when he came in third in that primary that was the primary for the libertarian candidate oh really so, i thought that was the entire governor's race libertarian primary oh, so bad. oh my god okay yeah i i think that, that that the documentary was intentionally um uh misleading about that but um but yeah so just just like come on man like you're barely how you many know. libertarian candidates do they have in that state? <laughs> Three. He came in third. Okay. Um, yeah. So you know, it was just yeah. So so to to me, he's he's kind of this like outsized sense of himself. Uh, okay. All right. That hits. Um, <laughs> God, we are so fucking relevant right now. <laughs> <laughs> Bahagavan Doc Antle, Simon. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> this to me is an obvious one. Um he's sort of the class version of Joe Exotic, right? Yes. Exactly. He's a slicker, smarter, richer version of Joe um Exotic. He's someone who can pull it off. Uh but let let you know, let's not forget he still is very much a psycho. He has uh, his own personal harem. 
Um, and he euthanizes um, baby tigers in mass. Right. Um, <laughs> okay. Now that's not. It's KD for me. Oh my goodness! Really? <laughs> I did not see that coming. So, yeah. No, I feel bad now. <laughs> I didn't want to lead into it with he euthanized tigers in mass. It's Kevin Durant. Because um, obviously, <laughs> no, I like Kevin Durant much more than that. But you know, I think that. Um, it's nice that we have a Joe Exotic and Kyrie Irving, right, to take some of the heat uh, for being the most toxic, crazy person in the locker room. Uh-huh. But uh, a much slicker, better operating, uh, higher class version of that is Kevin Durant, a guy who like refused to speak to his teammates for a month last year and is generally just a very bizarre guy himself, um, but can kind of pull it off in a way that Kyrie Irving could never dream of pulling it off. Right. Um, okay. That is, that, that is a bold, bold way to take this. <laughs> um, mine is a little bit of a cop out. Uh, it is Joe Sy, who I knew is not a net, but no, that's fine. I, I think I used him net. for one. maybe. Okay. okay, great. So to me, Similar to exactly as you're saying, he's like slick. He he comes off as like more reasonable. Um, you know, he he does things that are unquestionably good, like getting thousands of ventilators to a state that uh, desperately needs them. Um, he's paying his employees. That's good. Uh, I don't want to take anything away from it. And just as you did with Kevin Durant, I don't want to suggest that he is he is as horrible as. Uh, uh, you know, or, or anything, you know, close to it. Right. But there is some where where I want to draw the limited comparison is there's some simmering baggage underneath uh, this. There's the firing of Kenny Atkinson, the sudden firing of Kenny Atkinson. There's the even more sudden firing of his uh, CEO. Right. There after like two months or whatever. There is, uh, you know. Not Nets related, but still the obviously very close relationship with him and the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, so there's just like is there's like amidst the sort of fun, like nice seeming, magnanimous guy is this. Uh, <laughs> kind of seedy underbelly. Sure. Okay. I like that. Uh, next one, talk about seedy underbelly, Carol Baskin. Uh, she's a, she's the mother Teresa of big cat people, Simon. She's got a noble cause, but as we quickly realize, she is very likely, uh, murdered her husband. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and so my guy, okay. So my comparison for this, right? This very, mm-hmm. you know, on the sur- Mother Teresa, blah, blah blah. She's good. Got good press. All this stuff. Mine is a guy who, who, as far as we know, is a great guy. Um, we never hear anything bad about him. He's never in the news for 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 negative things. Oh, no, huh? But I think deep. Deep down, Simon. Oh, boy. Beneath, I don't know, one of his 18 injuries during his very brief career with the Nets lies something seriously, seriously wrong. And it's Karis Levert. Mm. <laughs> okay. Your turn, my sir. Okay. Uh, 
For me, he is uh, DeAndre Jordan. DeAndre Jordan, or she is, sorry, she is DeAndre Jordan. Um, very, yeah, like a, he, he, he's got a, um, a very outwardly good teammate vibe. Uh-huh. Uh, and is better. I mean, again, just like Carol Baskin, undeniably, she is the, you know, I mean, maybe if she didn't work her husband, that, <laughs> that could throw some of these calculations off. But barring strong proof of that, All right. I would say definitely she is much better than uh, the, the animal um, abuse squad. But um, just like I think. DeAndre has got to be much easier to deal with, much better teammate than your Kyrie's, your KD's. Um, but still, like, kind of one of the reasons it seems like that Kenny Atkinson was fired, one of one of this, like, you know, the uh, um, sort of dividing lines between uh, old Nets, new Nets, he, he's sort of at the forefront of that. Um, and so, yeah, there's, uh, you know, something, something not, not all, all the way good about DeAndre. All right. Speaking of not all the way good, Simon, Jeff Lowe. Oh yeah. Uh, he may have a Ferrari, but he's a, not a nice guy. <laughs> uh, in my notes here, I say he's a con man with a taste for fast cars and fast women. <laughs> Um, and then I also said that he is a st- your stereotypical not nice American male, just a total piece of shit. Uh, yeah. And for me, who else could I give that to than the guy you just mentioned, DeAndre Jordan? Um, <laughs> you're up. Just because. Uh, just because. The- just because I I feel like I, he's the person who makes me the most upset on the Nets. He's. Mm. He's coming. I mean, you could call him a con man. He's not. He doesn't play basketball well anymore. But he's getting paid an immense amount and also getting a starting job, even though he is at best the third best center on this team. <laughs> okay, I don't know. I wouldn't go that far. But but uh, but um, so for me, this this is Kyrie uh, because okay. because. At a couple of points in in the show, in the documentary, Jeff Lowe comes in as the savior, like Joe needs, desperately needs a funding, somebody to go up against Carol Baskin. Uh, Jeff Lowe comes in riding on a white horse. Pretty much immediately fucks over Joe. Um, <laughs> then he's seen building a uh, another park with with this other guy, and the other guy's like, "Oh yeah, it seems good. We're you know we have our disagreements, but he seems good." Then it's like, fast <laughs> forward right immediately, where he's just like, "I I'm paying for all of it, and I'm doing all the work." Like, <laughs> yes, it's Jeff Lowe. <laughs> like, and it's the same with you know, and I was one of them. You know, Nets fans were like, "Yeah, you know." He's burned a couple people, but Kyrie just needs the right situation with no, it's Jeff Lowe. <laughs> this is what that guy does. Right, right. Jeff, you could put Jeff Lowe into any situation you could imagine, <laughs> and it's gonna end up with Jeff Lowe doing Jeff Lowe. 
welcome to the Kyrie show, people. Uh, all right, we'll go quickly through these last two. Rick Kirkham yeah. is the creepy guy who was going to make a uh, uh, reality show about him, yeah. but also filmed all his internet stuff. He lost everything in a fire, and then his home burned down immediately after, and now he lives in Norway, I'm told. Yes. Um, I'm going to latch on to the lost everything guy okay. and say he's Kenny Atkinson. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, I think, I mean, Kenny Atkinson has definitely lost everything um, yeah. in the last, once Once old Jeff Lowe got to the park. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, for me, I didn't have a great one for this. I, I just thought maybe he's like Rich Kleinman, um, kind of like glomming on to this, to, to someone who actually is doing something in Kevin Durant. Uh, and and just hoping to kind of exploit the insanity that is happening uh, in in the world of of Joe Exotic to uh, to make a name for himself. Uh huh. It's not a perfect comparison, honestly. No, it's good. It's perfectly fine. Uh, last one is going to be a, a combo character. It's Travis and Dylan, the two late gorgeous husbands of. <laughs> Um, Joe Exotic. Travis uh, fully killed himself. Uh, Dylan is still out there pumping out social media, I'm told. Um, both have a taste for the myth. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but what I uh, focused on here was, was purely surface and uh-huh. young and beautiful. And, and in that sense, to me, they're very much like Nick Claxton. <laughs> okay. So to, I, I picked uh, Jared Allen, um, who I see as, yes, a, a young, totally like out of his element now as like, uh, you know, like now you got to go toe to toe with the, the player who has backing from the two stars on your team, uh, you know, you have no idea, you know, this is only your third year in the league. Just go do it. Go, go, go handle that. Uh, and I just feel like that's similar to how these poor, um, Young souls got uh, trapped into Joe's web there. Um, <laughs> I have just one really quick one, which is uh, Carol Baskin's dead husband is Kenny Atkinson. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Never to be heard from again. Yeah, and, and disappeared under mysterious circumstances. Right. No, that's a very good good analogy. <laughs> All right. Um, I was going to talk TV shows with you, but we're already over an hour. Um, yeah. I want to hit on High Fidelity next week, which we started okay. watching. Um but I did hear something interesting in the Albuquerque guys conversation today, and that was that D- Dylan and Steve have both both participated in Zoom power hours. What is a power hour again? I believe you take a shot of beer once a minute every minute for 60 minutes. So anyway, I was going to suggest to you that perhaps next uh, Friday when we hang out, we do a power hour. I think I could maybe do a power 15. Okay. Power 15 minutes. Okay. 
<laughs> Great. We'll do that four times in a row. Uh, <laughs> no, it has been good talking with you and seeing yeah. you. Um, do you have anything else you want to say about the Nets? Uh, no, um, keep those trade proposals coming. If people want to send us trade proposals or anything else, any questions, comments, thoughts, uh, send them to maybe next time at gmail.com or, um, hit us up on social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram at maybe next time and give us reviews, please. Um, wherever you find this podcast. Yeah. Do you want to, uh, you, do you want to come up with some more trades, um, for our next one? Sure, sure. All right, yeah. So send us yours, uh, listeners, and we will come up with some of our own for next episode. Uh, hopefully we'll have some tales to tell about the 15-minute power hour. Uh, and we will go ahead and see you next time. <laughs> All right, bye, Simon. I was tired of my lady. We'd been together too long. Like a worn out recording Of a favorite song So while she lay there sleeping I read the paper in bed And in the personal columns There was this letter I read If you like pina colada